0: And now we come to God's Word. The Christian life is like a race, like a race. Like a marathon, it's long, it's grueling, it demands endurance. But it's also like a sprint relay. It's over in a heartbeat, and it requires clean handoffs, to get across the finish line with the baton, the whole point of any race is not to run aimlessly or meander for amusement. It's to run strong, and to finish well. Run, Paul urges us in First Corinthians chapter nine, verse twenty-four, nine, verse twenty-four. Run so as to win the prize. We don't meander. We're not aimless. How we run today determines how well we will finish tomorrow. Now matters for later. This is true of any of us who are pursuing Jesus, but it's especially true for our leaders. Because as go the leaders, so goes the flock. Today, as we return to the book of Acts, we get to hear the Apostle Paul draw a group of leaders around him, speak to them, to the elders from the church in Ephesus, he's going to press into them, pressing onto them to run, to lead, so that they and their flock finish well. Now, Paul knows that he's not likely to see this group of men again, so he's passing a baton, discharging himself, and charging them with the responsibility that he has carried until now, that he has trained them for until now. Now These men are gathered, not in Ephesus, as you might expect, but 30 miles away, a full day's walk on the coast, on a sandy beach, on the Aegean Sea, where Paul has summoned them. Wouldn't that be fun to have a retreat on the beach, on the Aegean Sea? There's a different reason why he gathers them there. We'll see it. We'll find them gathered in Acts chapter 20 starting in verse 17. Acts 20, verse 17. Would you turn there in your Bibles? You'll find it in page 929 of your church Bible. And some of you you are are certainly saying, "Uh, Steve, you've jumped a chapter, haven't you? Like we've skipped all of chapter 19. Yes, a lot has happened since last week, since last we saw the Apostle Paul in Corinth, when God said to him in chapter 18, stick it out, stay here, keep on speaking. I've got people here in the city, and he did for about 18 months, remember that? But the time came for him to wrap up his second missionary journey, and so on his return back to Jerusalem, let your eyes fall on chapter 18, verses 20 and 21, he made a stopover in Ephesus. It's the first time he's ever been to the city where he taught once, And they beg him to stay. But he says, no, I'll be back. I can't stay, but I'll be back. And so he keeps his word. On his third missionary journey, he keeps his promise, comes back to Ephesus, do you see chapter 19, verse 1, where he settles in and he gets to work day and night, day in and day out. And he begins to teach them for what will be a period of about two years, give or take. Do you see that in chapter 19, verse 10? God blesses his efforts so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, that's astonishing. God's word echoes out into the full region from this uh, metropolis. Ephesus is a hub. It's an urban center. And Paul's strategy of investing extended time there is paying off. God's Word echoes from there to the whole region, and the gospel begins to change lives. Now, Ephesus was an idol worshiping center. It was an e- idol worship was their economic engine. And as idol worshipers begin to reject their man-made idols to worship the living God, the local merchants who fabricate and push these idols begin to say, well, Jesus is bad for business. And they push back hard. They start a riot. And so Paul moves on for a few months to other places like Greece and Macedonia where he's planted other churches. But the Ephesian church stays close to his heart, even if he has to move on. He longs to reconnect with the church leaders, and so on his swing back through, on his way back to Jerusalem, he calls for them to meet him on the coast so that he can stay within eyeshot of the boat that will soon take him back to Jerusalem. And that's where we can pick up the story, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now from Miletus, on the coast, by the boat, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord, with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down, prayed with them, and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him. To the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this farewell of Paul's on the beach is a talk, um, is the only talk in the book of Acts specifically addressed to Christian leaders. Uh, many, other, many others of, of his discourses are to unbelievers or to officials, government officials, but here it's to Christian leaders. It's a baton pass where he commends his own example, he puts his own example in the spotlight as the model to follow. We heard him say in verse 24, you see that? I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself if only, if only I may finish my course. Now, that's athletic language. The course in Greek would be picturing a racetrack. It says, if only I may complete the full circuit that Jesus has given to me and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, what is that to testify to the gospel of the grace of God? Leaders, he's leaning in here's how to run now so as to finish well. Now, Paul sensed that he was nearing the end of his race, so he can sense some urgency in his voice. Brother shepherds, I want you to run like I've been running. Now, think about it for a second. Uh, These remarks were addressed to elders, to church leaders primarily. So, does that count the rest of us out of here? You know, how many church elders might there be among us this morning? What maybe 10? Actually there's a couple carloads on their way to Indiana, so it's fewer than that. But what Paul is saying here, addressed mainly at church leaders, is helpful for us all, whether we're leaders and whether we're leaders or followers. It's helpful for us all, shepherds and sheep. We all need to learn and practice the priorities of faithful spiritual leadership. To finish well, Paul is pushing in, preach the whole counsel of God. Tell the entire truth from God, not just parts of it, not just the tasty parts, leaving out the tough parts. No, echo everything that God has said. So within that massive job that God gives to Christian leaders and to those who follow them, the priority task of every Christian is to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Do you see that? Verse 24, speak the truth as you would in a court of law. Testify, bear witness Give evidence to the good news, the gospel, that has come at God's expense, at God's initiative, as a gift from God in the person of Jesus Christ. So tell the truth, tell the whole truth, not just part of it. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That was echoed here in this room yesterday. That is such good news, but it's not the whole truth. That's not the entire truth. The, 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 the entire truth is that we must believe in Him lest we perish." John 3:17 says, "Those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in God's one and only Son." That's tough to hear, but it's necessary. It's the whole truth. This is the evidence, 1 John 5 says. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. That's good news. But it's not the entire news. The whole truth is whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's tough to hear, but it's necessary. The message that you and I are to take and to tell as we run out our days is the whole truth. But even that isn't enough. This message calls for a response as we share God's good news. We also need to urge people to take it, to receive it. And so in verse 21, Paul talks about testifying of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. you see that? Repentance and faith. When we proclaim the total truth, the tasty as well as the tough, we must also call for a saving response. Turn and trust. Make it about face and believe. Repentance and faith. So the good news is not, the good news of God's grace is not, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. It's not just God is love, Jesus is our friend. It's not at all, let's live good lives like Jesus did. None of those messages lead to this kind of response. None of those messages call for that kind of a response. That response is necessary whoever has the Son, has life. The whole truth starts with the hard truth that we've heard from God, that we, you and I, are sinful rebels against God, our Maker. We are done for. We're in eternal danger. It's that God is holy and that the holy God must punish our sin such that we can't rescue ourselves from that predicament. And so he himself sent his one and only son, Jesus, to take that punishment in our place where he then died and rose again so that Jesus alone can vanquish our guilt. Jesus alone can vanquish sin and death and hell. That is such great news. And we must proclaim it so clearly that the response we call for is the response that God sparks in the soul of a sinner. Oh, God, forgive me. What you say is absolutely right about my predicament. I am a sinner. I'm turning from my sin, from any other thing that I've worshiped to you, Lord Jesus. Save me as only you can. I trust you. Turn and trust repentance and faith. Thank God for that complete picture that the whole Bible gives us about who God is. He's not just love. He's holy. He's just. Thank God for the complete picture that the Bible gives us of our human predicament. We are in eternal danger. We We can't do anything about it ourselves. Only Jesus can. The whole Bible is what makes that good news make good sense. And that's why Paul says in verse 27... I didn't shrink from declaring it to you, the whole counsel of God. Now, there's more to it than that, because when Jesus commissioned us, he said, baptize them and teach them to obey everything. I have commanded. the whole counsel of God. So, Christ follower or elder, you who are in the flock of God or who watch over the flock of God, if we want to run so as to finish well, our number one priority is to get a good grasp on the good news and take it, tell it, proclaim the whole counsel of God, and do it. Paul adds, as one serving the one high King. They're on the beach. On the beach, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, saying. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. I was consistent from the first day that I set, in, set foot in Asia, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Those leaders knew what it was that propelled Paul. They'd watched him from the very first day and for years how consistently he spent himself serving the Lord. There was never a hint of self-service Never a hint of self-promotion or of self-preservation. In fact, he would write to the Galatians, Galatians 1.10, If I'm out to, to win the approval of people, if I'm out to please men, I'm no longer a servant of Christ. No, they watched him. His earnest intent was to spend himself for his Lord, the Lord that tackled him on the trip to Damascus. The Lord that rescued him, he could never get over that. He would write to Timothy, he rescued even me, the worst of sinners. That fueled Paul, serving the Lord fueled his boldness to speak the gospel, as we saw in verse 19, with all humility, with tears, with trials. Serving the Lord kept him teaching, verse 20, in public places and from house to house, and serving the Lord was was what was propelling Paul all the way to Jerusalem, even though going there would be certain imprisonment and affliction. Paul would rather serve his precious Savior than clutch any comfort. For you and me, to be able to let go of any kind of self-preservation means that we have to be clutching a far greater treasure. I'll spend myself for him who spent himself for me. My life would be a waste spent any other way. That's Paul's heart. So whatever you do, priority, or not so, not so much, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. He writes in Colossians 3.23 as working for the Lord, not for men. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. He's the one high king. Let's make it our earnest expectation and hope, as he wrote to the Philippians, to not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ might even now, as always, be exalted in our bodies, whether by life or by death, whether through the drudgery of our days or our demise. Exalt our one high king. So serving his one high king is what propelled Paul Did you notice, he also uh, said to the Ephesian elders, it's what kept him from leading like a taker. Look at verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Have you ever met a leader who's into his position for perks? I'm not like that, says Paul. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities. He's holding them up. These hands, Made tents, earned a living so that I could meet my needs and those, the the needs of those who were with me. No, he says, Christ has transformed me from living like a taker to living like a giver. See verse 35, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I want you to see something here. We often read that verse and really don't see what it says. Jesus himself did not say it's better to give than to get. That's good. Uh, That's part of what he's saying. It's better to give than to get. No, he's saying a whole lot more than that. What he's saying is that when you and I received Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, like Ephesians 1 pictures it, we received Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, God graced us, God lavished us, God filled our cup up, and that has transformed us from being takers into being givers. That has transformed us from being self-centered life suckers into being grace-fueled, overflowing, and so Paul isn't saying just here that it's better to give than to get. That's not what Jesus was saying that Paul is quoting. He's saying that every time we give, somehow, in the process of giving, God graces us all the more. Somehow, as we give, he keeps fueling us up and helping us to overflow. Can you see the picture? You can't over, you can't outgive God. He has graced us. And as we give, he gives us more to keep overflowing. And so we who serve the one high king no longer give to get. We no longer give even to get noticed. We give because the Niagara of God's grace flows us to overflowing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. This is how we are to run if we're going to finish well proclaim the whole council of god as one serving the one high king and thirdly being vigilant for any and all threats i can just hear paul here i can imagine him on the beach with these leaders he's he's leaning in he maybe dr- drops his voice a little bit he has some hard things To say to them, hard thing, it'll be hard to hear this. He loves these men. They've served their high king together. They've taken hits in the same trenches. There's no camaraderie like one forged in battle. Nevertheless, Paul says, verse 25, And now, behold, I know that none of you, among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face again. When I leave this beach and get on that boat, I won't be back. A hand grenade could not have concussed them anymore. More than that. Verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God Paul is handing off the spiritual responsibility for the for the whole church in Ephesus to its elders and for the whole impact potential in the whole province of Asia here he says take it i've run my laps now run Like a vigilant watchman that's handing the keys over to the next watchman on shift, he is discharging himself of all responsibility before God for the souls of those that he has diligently taught. This handoff is high stakes. Verse 28, pay careful attention. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. The stakes couldn't be higher. I am handing you the responsibility for the people God has purchased for His own. Church, Cornerstone, that's us. God has has purchased us as His very own possession. We are His prized people. Psalm 49 helps us to understand what the cost was that was involved in that. Psalm 49 verse 7 says, No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No human payment is ever enough. And yet God has purchased us at a far greater cost. Human life, yes, but an unblemished one at the cost of his eternal son. He's bought us at the, at the cost of the lifeblood of his son, his one son, the son that he loves. Nothing in the universe is more precious to God. And God himself, by his spirit, places his precious blood-bought bride, the bride that he intends to present to himself as radiant and unblemished and unstained. In the end, he is placing, the, entrusting them, us, into the care of overseers, of men who feed us, who lead us and stay vigilant for us. The stakes are high because the threats will come of all kinds. See verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, careless, ruthless, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Some of you right here on the beach, Paul's locking eyes on them. Some of you guys right here will turn on God's sheep. You're going to follow your own fancy. You will pervert God's truth. You'll spin it in your own way to entice the gullible to stray after you. It's the nature of sheep to stray, it's the nature of wolves to devour the strays. It's the God-given job of elders to guard their own hearts and to guard God's flock. To guard us from drift, from distraction, from deceit, from derailment, from from the culture's Kool-Aid. A truth that gets twisted might taste okay, but it's toxic. It kills, it maims, stay Vigilant. Be on guard. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Our good shepherd said to his disciples, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it to the full. And so our under-shepherds, under our chief shepherd, are charged with protecting his flock. See verse 31, therefore be alert be alert remembering that for 3 years i did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears christian if your elder ever approaches you in in the gentleness and humility of jesus maybe even with earnest tears pleading with you to take notice and to make a course correction take heed listen up. He is guarding your soul. It's his God-given job. He wants you to finish well. We're all called to proclaim the whole counsel of God as one serving the one high king, being vigilant for any and all threats, and fourthly, resourced in God and his word. When Paul said, I'm soon going to be getting on the boat over there within eyeshot, and you'll never see my face again, their hearts sank. What are you talking about, Paul? You're our mentor. You're our brother in battle. We need you here. But Paul points them instead to their greater need. See that in verse 32? And now, I commend you to God. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. It's God we need most, whether leader or follower. It's God's Word that does God's work in us to fortify us all the way to the finish when we will receive the prize that God holds for us there, that eternal reward in store for us that He is making holy. Every human leader is mortal. Every human leader one day will die. There's an off-ramp to every one of us. Even the Apostle Paul sailed into the sunset. Moses was a giant of a leader. And when he died, he left a massive gap. But God told Joshua at the baton pass, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God gave himself to Joshua. I commend you to God. God did a whole lot more. God gave Joshua another statement here. The, this book of the law shall not depart from, from your mouth. Meditate on it. Be careful to do it, that you will be able to make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God gave Joshua himself, God gave Joshua his word. I commend you to God and to God's word, to the word of his grace. The best thing any leader, incoming, ongoing, or outgoing, can do for God's people is to commend God's people to God and to the word of God's grace. Paul's talk is done. Probably took him all day. We don't know. All you can hear now are the waves lapping onto the sand. Paul's ship is ready to sail. Verse 36, when he'd said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul, kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he'd spoken that they wouldn't see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. As I look out across God's precious flock, you, who he's bought with his own blood, it occurs to me that we must be praying for our elders We must be praying for our pastors, for our leaders. They bear a heavy weight for our spiritual care. It's a high and holy calling. It's a dangerous calling to to receive that baton. The challenges that they face exceed mere men. They need for us to pray for them. Let's keep commending them to God into the word of his grace. And let's pray that we will follow well, that we will follow our under shepherds as we follow our good shepherd, the chief shepherd. And then let's pray for God to raise up more mighty men of God. Pray for the B2 training course that our pastor will teach this fall and into the winter. Pray for many men to be trained up and strengthened to take the baton and to run with it faithfully, to lead fruitfully to the finish line. And then remember this. None of us really knows where the finish line is. Our age doesn't matter here. We don't know when our race will be done. Will it be in 10 years? In 20? Could be tomorrow. In July, our seniors gathered at Homewood Park. We had such a great time. I even had a memorable conversation with Barry Coburn, which I understand was something because he's a man of few words. A whole conversation with Barry. The next day, Barry was home. His race was run. Run now, so as to finish well. Proclaim the whole council of God as one serving the one high king, being vigilant for any and all threats, resourced in God and in God's word. Let's pray. Lord, you are our shepherd. We are the sheep of your flock. It amazes us that we are that precious to you, that you would pay such a cost to bring us to yourself. So we entrust ourselves to your care. We entrust ourselves again to the care of the leaders that you have entrusted over us. And we ask you, God, that you would protect them, that you would guard them, that you would keep their lives and their speech true to you and true to your word. Lord, help us to follow them, as we all follow you. We love you. We surrender ourselves once more, Lord, to the one high king. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.